Hey, good evening. Good evening. We made it. We're here. And uh, we are in chapter 4 of Ephesians. And we have uh, spent a few weeks in the first uh, six verses. And in that area, we find uh, that it's uh, very rich, very profound, very foundational truth for uh, living the Christian life. And how does one live that Christian life? Well, um, I think it's always good to always remember what God has done for us, right? In the first three chapters, that's what He uh, shows and what He has done. The very heart of the Gospel is what God has done for us uh, rather than what uh, we do for God. So God has graciously provided. And then in chapter 4, He says, Therefore. <laughs> so now uh, we are to walk worthy, to have a worthy Christian walk. And you'll notice that it is with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another and love and daring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So it's dealing with humility. Our walk is to be a lowly walk, a a humble walk, and dealing with other people, and uh, especially in the body of Christ. And so we see that uh, God gave Himself up for us. We've we've seen that. Uh, I think a key word... Uh, is grace, and uh, that's about giving. God does that, and He has done it. He continues to do it. And then in the section that we look at tonight, He shows that um, uh, He has given us gifts individually. And this is where it's interesting because we have seen that it is dealing with unity in the first six verses, and and he gave that on the as the basis of the the triune God, uh, the Spirit and the Son and and the Father and uh, those individual persons in the triune Godhead are one, perfectly one. We are one, and we're to keep that unity. But it's uh, all based upon this great foundation, and so with that foundation, we we see now that. Even though we are one, we're still individuals. And so you take unity and you see the next word, which is diversity. Unity and diversity. University. You ever wondered how university came about? One, university, diversity. One of many, right? So what that means? So... That's um, of course you have so much knowledge that's to be taught in the school or the university, and so one place where you'd have many many subjects. But um, here in the Christian body, we are to be absolutely one. It's based upon what God has done, but yet we are individuals, and there's so much diversity. Great example of diversity: the, the, the church. God gives Himself. And He gives Himself so much that He even tells us that He has rooms for us that we're going to have one of these days um, living with Him. And we also uh, are told that we will be sitting on thrones with Him, whatever that means. Uh, That is uh, really something to think about. He's going to give those things. And then you think about all the stuff that He's already given us, spiritual blessings, as in Ephesians 1. So in this text, we're going to see that he uh, continues to empty himself uh, to make us rich. He became poor for our sakes that we would become rich. 
so this text is going to show what God gives us. At least we will attempt that. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for this evening. Thank you again for this gathering that we have, that uh, we come around and gather around your very word. And oh, that we would uh, be able to honor you as we learn about who you are, what you've done for us, and what we are to do with the uh, power that has been given to us, the gifts that have been given to us, have been made available. And uh, each one is different, and at the same time, we uh, are living this Christian life for one purpose, and that's to glorify you and use it in so many different ways. And uh, as we uh, focus again upon Christ, who is the giver, uh, may He be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the, uh, he starts this section in verse 7 about gifts, and then he doesn't name them immediately. He will uh, wait for that for a little bit, and he'll tell how Christ was able to give those gifts, why that was to be that way. But he starts off in verse 7, says, But to each one, and we've been talking about all, as at the end of verse 6, and now he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What's that? You ever read that passage and wondered what that meant? Well, he starts off a word, a three-letter word, but, but to each one of us. Now, a lot of times you'll have the word, therefore. We know what that is. Now he says, but. And this is a, a term that's it's an adversative, which means it's going to contrast what we've already talked about with what we're going to talk about. So there's that little word, but, right in the middle of all of this. And so he's going to say, okay, here's where we've been, uh, but here is where this is going. This is what's going to be said. And what it is, is just like what I was telling you in a uh, few moments ago, it goes from unity, which is, you think of one God, you know, there being one body, one spirit, uh, one hope you're calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And uh, now um, it's almost like he's shifting gears and he goes to the individual the uh, the single units in a sense um, diversity we're all one in Christ and now he's going to take this one and compare it to like in verse 6 one God and Father of all that make up that body who is above all and through all and in you all so there's the word all and now we get to each one Kind of a little bit of a shift there. We're all one in Christ. We're all one in salvation. We're all one as members, but we are individuals. Uh, we're unique. You ever heard of, of uh, spiritual snowflakes? 
You ever heard of that term? Okay, what what's uh, what's so unique about a snowflake? It's cold <laughs> in the summertime, right? <laughs> They're very different. Every one of them, right? They all look alike, but when you really see what they are, the shapes that they have and different ways they look, they're different. They're all different. And that's what Christians are. They're all different. There's not another barb out there. <laughs> a lot of barbs out there. A lot of barbers running around as Christians. Maybe saved a lot like the way that you were, but they're not the same as Barb. You're the only one, as each one of us is. Only one. There's nobody else like us. Can you imagine that? And God meant it to be that way. Um, and, you know, as we talk about unity and then diversity, we're definitely not talking about uniformity. And so that's why it is such a blessing to see that we're all kind of different. Everybody likes to wear different clothes, you know. They like to be just, you know, your own personality because that's who you are. You don't want to be some, like somebody else. But is it, uh, was it that song that Todd Agnew sang the other night? You know, he, he didn't want to, he, you know, he used different individuals, different singers, different people that were in the body of Christ and the, the ones who are known and written songs, sung songs and such. But he wasn't going to be like any of those, even though he he liked their songs. He likes Chris Tomlin, but he's not he's not a Chris Tomlin. <laughs> but he'll do his songs. But he's it's, it's not him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they love to in the marketing industry. They like to make cookie cutter musicians. <laughs> they all want them want them to do all the same sound and be the same way. And, and if you know artists, they don't want to be that way. They just want to be themselves. So watch out for without cause. So whenever they get their first CD, then after that they'll start telling them, yeah, but you got to be like this. you got to do this. <laughs> and the artists say, but this is the way that I am. <laughs> so, there is nothing in the body, there is nothing in the, in a cell, there's even not a hair that doesn't have a purpose. Every cell that you has has a function and a purpose, doesn't it? And sometimes there might be parts of the body that really seem insignificant. And I don't know if um, many of you remember this, but one time the thyroid gland was considered to really be worthless. They didn't really know what it was there for. There's another one that they, the appendix, that always baffled them. There was a reason God put those body parts. He didn't just say, oh, I'll just think I'll just shove that one in there just for fun. <laughs> See, if you don't believe in creation, they'll think, say, well, you know, that's, that really shouldn't be there. I'd just take it out. Oh, what was another one? Um, it, the, yeah, the tonsils. Those things were worthless. You know, a matter of fact, they'd start just taking them out whether you had any problem with them or not. And uh, that was back in the 50s. I remember uh, in the 60s, kids would be taking them out. There wasn't any reason they were taking them out. They didn't have sore throats or anything, but they thought, well, they will, so they they shouldn't have them. There are reasons why God puts all those body parts in there. They're not there by accident. Um, but anyway, they all have functions. It might turn out to be turning out for bad functions. It might be diseased or something, but... Everyone has a function, has a purpose. And so sometimes, you know, we might look and say, oh, you know, hey, I seem so insignificant. You know, 
I'm not making any impact in this church. Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, anyway, each one. Each one. But to each one of us, what's the big word, the key word here? I bet it's in every translation. Oh, we got a grace. Do we have another grace somewhere? Grace, grace. God's grace. Da, da, da. Grace. Um, that's a real key word. Grace gives. Grace is self-giving. Of course, God is the gospel. God is grace. God gave Himself. Um, here, the word is not necessarily saving grace, although that's where everything starts. We don't knock that. But when you think of the word grace, it's it's this word. Charis. And of course, if you put if you put mata on there, charismata, that's dealing with uh, gifts. Um, that's how that's gift of, of grace, uh, giving, that kind of nature. Uh, we know that it's undeserved. We know that it's unmerited. We know that it's a favor from God. It's it's all sovereign giving. God gives exactly the way that He wants to. So if you went to 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll probably wind up going there sometime, but 1 Corinthians 12, you have a list of gifts. In Romans 12, you have a list of gifts. Here in Ephesians 4, we have... Uh, gifts. Um, in First Corinthians 12, it's dealing with uh, spir- uh, special gifts, charismata. In this section, it's a subjective grace in that it works in the believer. It's the grace that's working in us. It's an, an enabling grace, a grace that enables us <coughs> to be consistent with what, how we are to operate in our Christian lives. It's the it's the, the enabling. It's it's the working of God in us, uh, using those gifts that He has given us. That you'll say here in the next phrase. But to each one of us, grace was given, uh, so that we can live out this Christian life and be a benefit to uh, to others. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a subjective grace. It's it, it's working in the believer. Um, it's some, he, of course, he's doing it. That that grace is there so that we can use what he's given us. Um, functioning according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know what the word for measure is? Metric, right? Metron. What'd you have back there? You already had it before I wrote it. I heard you say it. Huh? I heard you say that word. Yeah, because I read it off the of here. Is it in there? Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're paying attention. <laughs> what is that? What's it mean? <laughs> it's the, the proportion that God has in mind, right? The exact proportion. So the gift, the gifts, the mingling of gifts, whatever you have that makes you that spiritual snowflake, um, God made it especially that way, specifically just for you. And nobody else has. He measured it out perfectly. Sovereign design. How about that? You ever thought about the... Sometimes you don't even know exactly what your gifts are. You just do them. Well, that's okay. You don't have to dissect them. But uh, God sovereignly designed that. came from the head. I think we get confused 
because we don't realize how much of that measure we've been given. That would be a hold back. <laughs> yeah, probably we would be guilty more of not using it than we would be misusing it or trying to overdo it. Uh, I guess you know. I guess it could go both ways. But we each have a gift. It was measured out to that perfect proportion, uh, perfect blend. I guess you could say. You might have quite a few. This kind of gift here, and this kind of gift, and this gift, and this gift, and he just blends it together, designs that, pops it into you. You're unique. You're different. So we each have that, and it's according to his plan and his purpose. And it's something he did before the foundation of the world. Knew exactly. And then he would give you the works to do, as in Ephesians 2, verse 10. You know, we're saved by grace, but ultimately, that uh, the works that he has given, that we would uh, work them out. So we're, we are enabled by God to serve him. He saves us, and then he puts in us to be able to do the things he wants us to do. Now, the next one is according to the measure of Christ's gift. And gift and grace are related. Different word here, Doria. And the emphasis on this one is not the undeserving kind of grace, you know, unmerited favor, undeserving, but it's dealing with how free it is. Christ's freeness. His gift is absolutely free. The freeness of the gift. Go to Matthew 10, verse 8. Here are the uh, apostles, and they're being instructed, and they're going to be sent out, and he says in verse 8, Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. <laughs> Can you imagine me an apostle? He says, uh, yeah, go out and raise the dead. <laughs> Cast out demons. And then what does he say? Freely you have received. Freely give. Now, he, he's the one. You know, they're not going to be able to raise the dead or be able to cast the demons out or cleanse the lepers and heal the sick unless there's some kind of supernatural power that's in them. Obviously, these are supernatural. It's it's not that he's just saying, hey, go out and tell them about me. But here he's he's telling them to do, to do some things. And the only way they're going to be able to do it is they have his, his power that's working through them that he freely gave to them. He says, okay, I gave it to you. Now you work it through there. You, you freely give it out to them. Just let me use you. Boy, that's incredible, isn't it? What about Romans 3.24? Being justified freely. Justified freely by His grace. Everything there is something that He did, isn't it? Again, it's, uh, it's not what we can do for God. And that is the way of all the religions outside of Christianity. Every other religion is what they can do. And Christianity says, uh, 
that it, it is God that does it. He justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Christ. Unique. Unique it is. Now, the thing is, is what qualified that or how did Christ have the right to give the gifts? Now, we haven't gotten to the gifts yet. You say, okay, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Okay, and these gifts are... And Paul didn't do that. Bill. I have a question. I always have a question. I do, too. Well, because I want to try to liken a lot of what we discussed back to how we are viewed by the rest of the world. And is, is part of what we are as Christians that makes us unattractive is the grace where people think... I mean, we, live in a, we live in a culture where everybody feels as if they deserve it because they've earned it. And when... And maybe we're just not that good at at telling people how they don't deserve it and that they can't earn it. It just it, it flies in the face of everything that, that pretty much everybody's been taught. It does. Well, it's their human nature here, too. Human nature is all the same as good. And that's the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, and, and being a kid, if uh, if um, you do this, then we'll do this, and and you grow up, and then and not that that's wrong, and then you go to school, and if you do good and you work hard there, you'll get good grades, and then later on you get a job, and if you work that job, you come there, uh, you will get a paycheck, and you know, and then if you have a paycheck, then you can go and buy a house, you can buy a car, you can, but you have to earn that, all of that. And now, all of a sudden, you look at Christianity and it's like the exact opposite. No, you can't do anything to earn that. It's yeah, yeah, lies against... Life, like you just described, life is a series of exchanges. I you know, I, I mean, it, it, it's all it, I work, I get. Yeah. yeah. I work, I get, because I'm entitled. And that's a good thing. You don't, as a matter of fact, it's biblical. You don't work, you don't eat. Right, yeah. But... For salvation, it's a total different thing. And, and you're right. I think we are failing a, as a church to let people know that you can't. You can't do anything. No, we are to trust in Him. But even if somebody wants to really trust and they just can't do it. Because we're all little control freaks, too. You know, and relinquishing control to the Holy Spirit in and actually doing what the, that still small voice tells you to do is a far cry from you know what we what we want to do in our flesh. Yeah, even as Christians, we still want to be in charge, don't we? Yeah. And that's well, we battle that. But as Christians, now we can do things. We've been empowered. Now we have to make a choice to use those gifts in the body of Christ, starting off with, how can I be lowly? Well, we give ourselves because we start learning what grace is. We be gentle. We long-suffering. We bear with one another in love. 
and we we know that now we have the ability as being in Christ, having the Holy Spirit, the gifts have been given. And so Paul's getting ready to talk about these gifts, then all of a sudden he makes a quote uh, a quote right out of Psalms. Oh, that's right. God inspired him to say this and he draws right from the Psalms, but he kind of changes it a little bit. But but it's the illustration is so good. It's it's a general allusion to uh, the, the passage, I guess you can say that where we're at to bring out an analogy. And so that's what he does. If you if you turn to Psalm sixty eight eighteen, you'll see something very similar there. It's a little bit of a change. And sometimes, uh, whenever you have Old Testament quotes, you'll see that being done freely. That's not to say, don't take things out of contest to make the Scripture fit what you want to have. This is David writing a psalm, talking about the the very glory of God. And this is a, a victory that God has, as he brings out. He says, You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord God might dwell there. We took out of that verse 18, and you can see some of the difference there where he says, you have received gifts among men. And in your Ephesians passage, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now what's what's going on here with uh, with Paul? Well, he knows the psalm is celebrated uh, a victory uh, for God. And this is a triumphant ascent right on up into um, Jerusalem. It's a what would be Jerusalem. It's a Jebusite city, actually, at that time. But this is a victory hymn. It's, uh, I guess you can say, that that David wrote, like a song, and he's celebrating the fact that uh, God, in one sense, has ascended with the Ark of the Covenant up to Mount Zion. Now, after a king would win a victory out in the battlefield, and they would have a major victory, he would bring home the spoils, and the enemy prisoners would be there to be seen by all as they were led in the parade into the city. And so all the people would see that. And so uh, Paul is thinking of what happened when one had victory. Here's Here's how Christ achieves the fact that He can give gifts to us. Or you can think of uh, an Israelite king. He would take them through the holy city of Jerusalem and up Mount Zion, and there'd be a display of not only the prisoners, but the king's own soldiers. And not only his own soldiers, but soldiers who had been captives. Even and he had freed his own soldiers, so we can go as far as to say that possibly. We don't know for sure if Paul is meaning that or if he's just meaning the ones who were the enemies that were being brought in. But if we if we could give it that way, it can even give a, a more colorful uh, word picture here. So there's a display of the king's own soldiers who had been freed 
after being prisoners by the enemy. They were captives. And so when Paul says he led captivity captive, um, he could be saying the enemy soldiers, or he could be saying not only them, but also his own soldiers who he now is going to set free, uh, or he is setting free. Uh, These were called recaptured captives. Captivity captive, recaptured captives. The king recaptured them and gave them freedom. Then there were spoils also that he would then spread out and, and give to them. So, when Christ won his battle here on earth, he then ascended to the heavens and then he gave gifts through the Holy Spirit to his church, to each individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because we were, if you want to take the analogy of the, or the picture of his own, who then were in the enemy's camp, he then sets them free as he takes them out of their captivity. Let's do it. What you got? Can't wait. Chronicles 28, starting at verse 5. Do it. Therefore the Lord has brought the river into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smelled him and carried Oh, they're talking about, I don't know what they're talking about. Maybe they're just get down here. Ahab, the bad king. God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria, and they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them captive and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who smote him with great slaughter. Now, this is the king in Jerusalem, this is in Judah who was delivered into the hand of the king of Israel. Um, for Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Maaseiah, the king's son, and Azrakim, the governor of the house, and Elkanah, that was next to the king. And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren in Judah. 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and took away, took also away much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord was there whose name was Oded. And he went out before the host that came to Samaria and said unto them, Behold, because the Lord God of your fathers was wroth with Judah, he hath delivered them into your hand. And he slain them in a rage that reacheth unto heaven. And now you purpose to keep under the children of Judah and Jerusalem for bondmen and bondwomen unto you. But are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and deliver the captives again, which ye have taken captive of your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then certain of the heads of the children of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Berechiah, the son of Meshulamoth, and Jezekiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasah, the son of Hadlot, stood up against them that came from the war. And said unto them, Ye shall not bring in the captives hither, for whereas ye have offended against the Lord already, 
we intend to add more to our sins and to our trespass. For our trespass is great, and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the princes and all the congregation. And the men, which were expressed by name, rose up and took the captives with the spoil, clothed all that were naked among them, and arrayed them, and shod them, and gave them to eat and to drink, and anointed them, and carried all the feeble of them upon asses, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brethren. Then they returned to Samaria. That's exactly what you do. That is it. That is it. Thank you. Thank you, Audrey. That's perfect. That's a perfect illustration. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. That's that's what Paul's thinking of. That's what Jesus did. Yeah. That that is a great analogy. That's ex- that's that's what they did back at that time. Uh, the scriptural answer to all that. Triumphant Christ. Don't you love that part where you know they they clothed, they were naked, clothed them, took care of them there? Uh, we have a triumphant Christ. He returns from battle on earth. He came down to this earth, and that's why he, we'll get into that descended and ascended in a moment. But it'll pan out a little more. But he he comes to to battle here, and he goes back into glory with his victory at the cross and the resurrection. And he goes to the heavenly city. Of course, kind of following that same thought there with the trophies of uh, his victory. And he distributes those to us. So he led a captivity or captive, a host of captives. In his crucifixion and in his resurrection, Jesus conquered Satan, Jesus conquered sin. Jesus conquered death. So you look in Colossians 2.15 where it says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I don't know what's happening whenever he was ascending, but we know that there are spirits out there all over the place that we don't see. And as he is ascending, and who knows how quick he got right there, <laughs> probably in a snap, but think about it. He's making a public spectacle because his victory just ripped to shreds sin, Satan, and death. Death was conquered. That is just incredible. That's already been done. The, the victory has been won. Oh, victory! But this is a triumphant Christ. He led the ones who were captive under the enemy, but uh, now they return to God and His people. God has, and what Carolyn was writing to there, God had unsaved people who are His elect, who will be saved, all the way up into right now, into who knows how much longer. There were also the ones who were justified out of the Old Testament. And so, you know, he said to the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. That's why we think no longer is it Hades, but you have all the Old Testament people who ascended and uh, they went into the presence of God. And of course, when Christians die, their spirits go to be with the Lord. 
Um, God has those people, and so we were some of the ones that, of course, he did it beforehand, and so we were captives until we were released, but he already paid for that. Let's go to Acts 18.10. This is uh, involving Paul, I think, and he was uh, at Corinth. In verse 9, the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a, by a vision. Do not be afraid. So what's that mean? kind of makes you wonder if Paul was starting to be maybe afraid, maybe, possibly. Have a tendency he could have. But speak and do not keep silent. Paul, silent. <laughs> For I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you for I have many people in this city. And so he stayed there another year and a half. I have many people in this city. That means there were people who were elect who weren't saved yet. And he says, I'm going to make sure that those people hear the message. And I'm going to use you here in Corinth. Don't be afraid at all. Yeah. Yeah. Now this was in that very lewd, sinful city of Corinth not too unlike our cities here in America today. <laughs> you can uh, substitute, I have many uh, whosoever wills. There you go. That's right. Who are the whosoever wills? <laughs> yeah. There's another one. Uh, matter of fact, there's probably quite a few, but I think of John 10, 16. He's the, he's the shepherd, right? And he says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. There were uh, more people. Some uh, would say that that you know he has the Jews and he has the Gentiles, and you know he's dying for both. And I I would tend to think that's what that is to make up that church, that one body, that or that fold here in this sense. But um, other sheep, they're not they're not saved yet, but they will be. So, anyway, whenever he led captivity captive, of course, it's dealing with, uh, that was even us, wasn't it? Because we were captive at one time, even though he had already done that. Now, um, the Mormons... Ah, that's right. Yeah, this is the other fold over here. (laughs) Yeah. He gave gifts to men, it says in that uh, verse 8. He gave gifts to men. Just like a a conqueror, a victor. He will take the spoils and he will distribute those spoils to his subjects. So Christ takes the trophies in the sense he's won. He distributes them. He's, He's won his battle. And after his ascension, he sends the Holy Spirit to... His people, and they are given gifts. And we know in Acts one eight, he had a promise. He promised the Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's telling them, "Hey, uh, you stay here until that happens." Let's say, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
they were going to be witnesses, and they were going to be uh, filled with God's Spirit to do that. Now, it goes into verse 9, and it comes back on that and kind of comments on it a little bit. Now, this he ascended. Okay, it's like it's like he's teaching there. Okay, what does this ascended? What what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, if you if you ascended, it it means you had to be descended first, right? Into the lower parts of the earth. And there's another stickler there too. What ascension, descension? Okay, those are easy. We know that he descended here to the earth, and then he ascended back to heaven. But then he says the lower parts of the earth. And we might be able to draw out some Old Testament passages and some other passages that might help us with uh, this lower parts. We'll see if we, we can be here. Um, we know ascended is what uh, we see in Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11. Ah, let's read it. That's, that's a doctrine that's not taught much anyway, is it? <clears throat> Now, when he had spoken these things, when they watched, after that Acts 1.8, we just read, he was taken up, a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? Get busy. Get to work. <laughs> uh, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he'll so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to... You know he's he's ascending there, but uh, believe me, he will come back, and uh, he's he's done his victory uh, parade right there, sends into heaven, and uh, he had done what he uh, was supposed to do. He was first abased, wasn't he? Then he's exalted. You have to pay the price first. What is it? The cross before the crown. What are the, remember the T-shirt, the Lord's Gym? Yeah. Yeah. Boy, you really have to work out, don't you, before you, before you can get uh, those... What are they, what, what, what's this? What's that? Nah, I think, it, I think it finally went by the wayside. Yeah, so they had to go with Lord's Gym. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so uh, we have quite an extreme range here. Ascended, descended, uh, from condescension. He condescended all the way down to earth and he was exalted. Uh, Philippians 2, 4 through 11 talks about his humility and in his obedience. Uh, he became like us, humbled himself to the point of the cross, right? Humility, condescension. Lower part of the earth. I think. As a whole, we could sum this up. It's the depth of what the incarnation means. Incarnation means what? Him coming in the flesh. To take on the flesh, he had to come here to earth. So it takes in all that. Uh, Let's see what some of this lower parts of the earth can mean. I think we can take a compilation of verses and maybe kind of uh, help us out here a little bit. Maybe go to Psalm 63.9. Lower parts of the earth. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. 
here is would be talking about the realm of the dead. Uh, talking about death. Go to Matthew 12.40, which is actually dealing with Jonah. We could turn to Jonah, but uh, Jesus comments on this. And he says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The heart of the earth. The heart of the earth. I, I, I can I can think, okay, well, of course, we've already kind of talked about death, and here we're talking about He comes down to the very heart of the earth. Um, another passage. Go to Isaiah 44.23. Different ways to uh, talk about coming to... Uh, a lower part, a lower realm. 44.23 Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, glorified himself in Israel. There, the lower parts of the earth will be the, the created earth, as he's talking about the mountains, the forests, the trees. There, he's talking about the heavens, and then he then he comes down here and says, "Okay, now you lower parts of the earth are the created earth. We're lower than heaven is up, right? Earth is down. Yeah." Do you think that I'm going to stress this a little bit that in that in the language, in the original language that all of this is written that scientifically the lower parts of the earth the writers didn't really know what the lower parts of the earth were I mean I what time did you think that the earth was flat so if they so I mean I'm wondering how deep anybody ever dug during those times I guess they dug wells you know in order to get water but I'm wondering if this if this that the if the interpretation with the old language of what the depths of the earth was is Maybe perhaps even the tomb that Christ was in may have actually been the, the depth of the earth, because anything beyond the top of the ground would be considered the depth of the earth. Anything that would be buried, you know, in, in their in their you know in their but limited they, knowledge of. of they knew about Shiloh. They talked about different depths. They didn't have they have some kind of understanding. They even talked about you know, the Sheol, I think, was yeah, the grave. Yeah, yeah the different parts of it. They even kind of, like, they use different terms for different depths of it, too. They had some yeah. understanding of something of that. Well, um, David actually uses the same phrase again in, in Psalm 139. You know, Psalm 139 where it talks about where God knows all of our thoughts. He knows everything about us. He's with us. In 15, he says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Okay, what is he saying there? He was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. What's the lowest part of the earth there? The womb. It's, it's another word, a way of saying a, a mother's womb. Uh, he was developed there. 
So, we're talking like grave. That's what we're saying. You know, like uh, Jesus being buried. Or we're also talking about the created earth. We're also talking about the womb. And focus this on Christ now. It's talking about he in His incarnation, He came into the womb of a virgin. We also know that there was um, he went from there he lived on this earth he came to this earth at the same time we know that he what what was another one that he died as his body was put in there uh one one other one um look at first peter 3 this is always a good controversial one I'm not trying to get controversial. I think you could probably go to any book of the Bible and get controversial if you wanted to. I'm not even trying. Uh, 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. And now what are we getting into here? What are we even doing there? Well, I'll tell you what the early church fathers taught. And you can take it from there. We, this is a, kind of an unusual passage, but early church ta- fathers actually taught that the righteous dead of the Old Testament they couldn't be taken into the fullness of God. And this makes sense. They couldn't be taken into the fullness of God or into His presence until Christ accomplished what He did at the cross, the redemption. And so after announcing His triumph over demons in one part of Sheol, then there was a release of the ones who were believers. And you remember the Hades, Luke 16 that's another kind of almost a mysterious thought there, but you have one guy in in Hades who was an unbeliever, and then there is the other guy who was a believer, and so there it's like they're on the same level, but they're in a different places. And and boy, I tell you, you hear all sorts of different thoughts on this, and I I, I know why <laughs> it's difficult, but. We do know that God's people are with Him. Uh, they're in the presence of God. As Paul said, you know, I desire to um, be with Christ now, but uh, I still, I'm torn. I still have to be here. Yeah. What was Abraham's bosom? How did they do that in the Old Covenant? Is that an intermediate place to where the God's people went? Yeah, I guess it, w- it would be something equivalent to Sheol. Which oh yeah, the Roman Catholics can ride a long way with that one. Yeah, well, it would be like um, they didn't really get to go in the very presence of God yet at that time. At least that's the way they viewed it until Christ or the Messiah did His act upon the cross. So according to the Jews, they're still waiting. Based on what you're saying, they would. Yeah, they they would go, and is the place of the dead. But we know that there are cults, and even some people have tried to identify with Christianity of soul sleep. 
right? And we know that that's not true. We, you know, we uh, we just we graduate. You know, we we still live. We'll live in the spirit until uh, the resurrection of the body. But um, so that uh, that Luke 16 that that would come into place. And as Jesus is saying today, you will be with me in paradise, as he would take those with him. So some would interpret he took the captivity captives. In, in, in that in that analogy, that sense. Kind of difficult. This is a hard passage. How many times have you read this and you go, what's that mean? And every time I read it, I, I'll get some books and commentaries out again and try to refresh. And every time I read somebody different, it's always something a little bit different. But it's basically the same. <laughs> it's kind of one of those we, we don't know exactly for sure. But I think we, get, we have the picture, don't we? I think the idea is he comes down to the earth. He lowered himself all the way down into this and, and not having to take it all the way down, but some say even all the way into where um, the, the, uh, the demons that, he, that they said that he went and proclaimed that. And in, in the creed, you will have a line there. And many would say that that is not necessarily biblical. But, you know, I, I, I'll keep it simple. I do know that he comes from heaven all the way down to earth and then goes back up to heaven and um, he deals with it. He, he's conquered. He's won the victory. Turns to heaven. Leads all the uh, uh, ones that were captive and uh, he showers his gifts upon us for the rest of the church for the 2,000 years and plus. We we can only think of up and down, you know. But you know, I mean, you see those pictures of the galaxies and everything like that. I mean, there's no reference of up and down necessarily. It's a, but we say he came down. You know, he came to us. I guess you know another way to put it. From wherever you know, from from heaven, from the heavens. <laughs> But, you know, any way, any person on any part of our globe, or any planet, for that matter, where, you know, they point what they, what, in their, what their references is up, but it's out, you know, it's, I mean, we call it up, we call it up and down. Yeah, and there are biblical um, uh, places where you'll find where it, it uses the word up, you know, uh-huh. or even, even when Christ comes back, Back for us uh, for, for resurrection bodies, they're caught up. Yeah, they're caught up. Uh, but then he comes down. Yeah. To so. <laughs> so it's kind of. It, I mean, it's not always necessarily a uh, location as it is a he he enters our space, enters our enters the earthly plane from where he comes from. Yeah, and it's right like there. yeah, he's not bound by anywhere, but at the same time, where's his you know? yeah? He's in the position, not a position. Yeah. 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 Is it really down? I know. Yeah, I know. Depends on where the earth is. Yeah. 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 False teacher who remain nameless, who takes that passage in Luke 23, where the where the thief on the cross um, confesses Christ. You know, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And you're getting what we deserve, and this man did nothing wrong. 
And and you know, and then Jesus says, Today you'll be with me in paradise. Well in in the teaching that I've seen exposés on Joyce Meyer, she has said that she moved the comma and said, I tell you this today, you will be with me in paradise and that Jesus won the victory and that the and that the atonement wasn't enough and he won the victory over the weekend. Oh yeah, he had to. That's yeah. He had, he had to go to, down. He had to go to hell to go get you know to win the victory. That's where he paid the rest of yeah, the, the rest, payment, right? The ransom, yeah. Well, because he he was a sinner, right? He became sin. That's that's sort of the that's the thought of it. When he took on our sin, now he was the sinner, and so he finished it down there. That's right. That's that's the teaching of that movement. That's uh, definitely heretical there. I mean, that's that's uh, even taking the ancient creed and going much further than what, what they had on that. Yeah. Now, I don't know if she sticks her guns on it anymore. It's, 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 you know, it was in one of her booklets, and it was, you know, there's some tapes out there that, that have her talking about it, but I don't know, you know, when that was. Nobody's beyond redemption, so... I'm not going to judge her. It's just that you know that, that she has taught that and, and, and used that. Yeah, and that goes at the heart of the cross because yeah. that's where everything was finished. He, right. You know, there was no more work to be done. But if he went and makes a proclamation to um, these particular demons that would have been held in a uh, in a bondage, you know, there are. Um, other passages, Jude and I think Peter alludes to it, and uh, one other place. But he just showing, hey, I won. You know, if that's if that be the case, proclaiming not for another gospel to, to be offered to people or angels or men or anything, and they can be saved. You know, a second chance. That isn't what it is. But in, but Peter says he made a proclamation. You don't have anything else to really go by. That's why it's it's pretty difficult. Yeah, I mean, even even in the study that I did on it, I mean, just moving the comma was, was extremely dangerous based Changed. on the language even because of the way that the way that the language was get moving the comma because nobody would say no one would say to anyone, um, you know, truly I say to you today. We, we don't even talk like that to each other. I would just say, truly you know, I, I say to you, you know, not like today. You know, so I mean it, it was just from a language standpoint it didn't even it didn't even fit. So Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that can uh, you can go with a whole heresy with that. And they, they did. <laughs> oh, we, you know, we were uh, we were using the word paradise earlier, and that's used again by uh, Paul in Second Corinthians twelve. He talks about where he was fourteen years ago, whether in the body, out of the body, I don't know, but I was caught up. There we go, Bob. I was caught up to the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He says it again. <laughs> How he was caught up into, here's the word, paradise. And I heard inexpressible words. So now no longer does it seem like uh, it's in Sheol or Hades, any place like that, but it's a place where God is. And it's called paradise, and it's used as the same way that was used with the thief on the cross. Yeah, and it's in the MacArthur Study Bible, it has paradise listed as uh, 2 Corinthians 
four. Yeah. And, and that's what Paul says. And then in Revelation two seven. It's used again, and yeah, that's where the tree of life is at. It's in paradise. Yeah. So, anyway, that's that place. The third heaven. You you have a first heaven here, where you you look out in the atmosphere. Then you have the second heaven once you go into the deeper space, and then the third heaven is the place where God dwells, abides. Put up the third heaven. That's that's the way the uh, the Hebrew people would uh, would have taken the, the three heavens. I think the uh, Mormons have three heavens too: celestial, and the telestial, and the terrestrial <laughs> heavens. Uh, yeah, because if you're not a Mormon, you can still get into a heaven. Maybe not up there in the peak, but you can still make it to another one. That's, nobody much is really going to go to hell. I don't think they believe in hell really anyway. Anyway, uh, we'll get into the gift part.